You know, we live in a country, in communities that refuse to indulge religion. They don't want to know about Christianity. They're not interested in church and all its various forms and expressions. New Zealand is no different from other westernised civilisations. Mostly people are intolerant of religion. They don't want to listen to the good news. They have no desire. They see no need. There's no purpose in it. No need to go to church. Yet... The anomaly is they are increasingly seeking to find ways to meet a deep-seated spiritual need that never seems to get satisfied within them, regardless of what they might pursue or how they might try to meet this need. Much research has been done in an endeavour to explain this phenomenon and to find ways to overcome it. What I want to do in the next minute or so is to briefly outline some of the points about this research and then we're going to move on to looking at what I, how I believe Jesus would handle it. If we know how Jesus would handle it, then we know how to handle it, right? So buckle up, get ready to go because this is Jesus' evangelism plan, one of them. Today's generation is often called the postmodern generation. Postmodern people reject all worldviews that claims to have truth. If anyone says, I have the truth, a postmodernist um, will ask, so what's your angle? They're very suspicious. They have an aversion to the big story. They do not trust absolute truth and they dislike religion. Therefore, they generally refuse to accept the Christian message of salvation and hope in Christ Jesus. What they are doing, however, is seeking meaningful relationships in caring communities where their personal life experiences provide everything they need to provide their own definition of truth. Let's just read it again. They are seeking meaningful relationships within caring communities where their personal life experiences provide their own definitions of truth and where these experiences meet that spiritual need. Do you know where people can find meaningful relationships in a caring community? Here. Right here. Right here. In your family. All right? In your group. In your church. With you. We have what they're looking for. We know how to do it best. Filled with the love of Christ, we can love anyone, anywhere, anytime, unconditionally. We have what they're seeking. You know, it's not about Bible blashing them or bringing the word or or trying. uh, It's living the word. It's carrying the word with us. It's bringing the presence of God. You know, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, which the Bible says, by the way, you are, if you accept Christ as your Saviour and Lord, the Bible says that he comes and fills us with the Holy Spirit and that becomes a seal and a confirmation for us of our salvation and our relationship with God. If you have made that commitment, then you are already filled with everything you need because God lives in you. Spirit of God lives in you. Word of God lives in you. You have all the presence, the power, and the authority that you need to provide that loving relationship. 
to provide a community where people feel they're cared for. And what's more, you provide, you contain exactly what they need to give them the experiences, the spiritual experiences they need to believe that the word is truth. That God is real, that Jesus Christ, Son of God, came and died for our salvation. Get into relationship with Jesus Christ and you have eternal hope. All right? Do you believe it? Are you excited about it? So what are you going to do about it? All right. These people, these postmodernists, the people all around us, your neighbours, the other people around here right now, maybe even some of you sitting in here, um, want personal spiritual encounters that are culturally relevant. They want to... They want to have the experience first on their own turf. Now, that's important because if they want to have the experience first on their own turf, trying to get them into church may not be the way to reach them. All right? They want the experience first on their own turf. Then they will listen to the explanation of how it happened, what it's about, who God is, um, you know, everything to do with the salvation message. They're willing to listen because they've had the personal encounter. They know it's real. It becomes part of truth for them, absolute truth for them. And we know what the explanation is. We know that inside out, or we should. If you're a Christian, you should know your word of God and be able to explain that. Um, so we can use these facts that research provides for us about our postmodern society to optimise every encounter we have with people outside the church. We can do this both individually and personally, and we can do it as a group, as a church. Yeah? Is that your goal for 2017? Is that your goal for 2017? Could that be your goal for 2017? I'm asking. Yeah? Doesn't sound very convincing. I'll ask again. Let's see how convincing. Could that be your goal? Will you adopt that as your goal for 2017? Yes, Lord, I will step out. I will trust you and I'll take your presence, your power, your authority, and I'll just do what I do best. Living in Christ, seeing Christ through me, people will realize I love them and that I have truth because I'm going to minister into their lives just by being their friend in a way which is going to be life-changing power encountering, it's going to produce something, a divine connection that is going to make them realise that this is real, God is real, Jesus Christ exists and lives today. Will you do that this year? Okay, I hope by the time I get to the end you're even more robust about it. Okay, we're going to read Luke chapter 10 verses 1 to 9 and explore it a little bit to see what God's Jesus evangelization plan is. So I'm reading from Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 1, from the NIV, New International Version. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Note, they didn't have to do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. God likes us working together. You know, maybe you're the one who goes out, but you need to have somebody sitting at home praying as you go out. Two of you. Do it together. 
Do it together. Don't try to do it by yourself. Some of you are evangelists and you can't shut up and you're going to do it anyway. But the rest of us are a bit slow at getting out there and doing this evangelism thing. So do it together. Support one another. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, go, go. Do you hear the word? Jesus says, go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Hallelujah. It's a bit frightening, but he knows what he's doing. He's in us. He will go with us. He will go before us and clear a straight path. He'll be behind us, covering and protecting us. And he says, go. What does Jesus say? What does he say? Yes, go. Good. We're going to go. All right. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't go. Don't take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. I wonder why he said that. I think that he's saying... Don't get distracted. Don't detour to the right or the left. Go out and do what you've set your mind to do. Don't put it off. Don't let doubts get into your head and distract you. Don't let the enemy draw you aside. Don't get drawn into things of the world while you're out there. All right? Keep your eye on the target. Keep focused and go. Don't get waylaid. Yeah? Verse 5. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. First say, peace to this house. First say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wage. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. That's interesting. Go, go to one place, stay there and eat, drink, be involved. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Verse 9, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near to you. Now there's four steps in here and we're going to look at each of these four steps. The first step, step one in this command from Jesus, because it's in the imperative, he's saying, go, do this, do this, 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 and this. So it's not if you feel like it or if you're feeling good today or if you particularly feel filled with the, filled with the Spirit today, he's saying, go and do this. One, two, three, four. Do it, do it, do it, do it. In this order, first, bless them. First thing he's saying is bless them. When he says, first say peace to this house, he's asking you to bless the people you're going to go and um, bring the good news to. These postmodern people who refuse to hear it, these people who you are going to share the word of God with, ultimately, he's saying, first say peace to this house. It all starts with blessing. And blessings start even before you get to know them. Right? Blessings start with prayer. If you're not praying, you're not going to have the confidence to get out there, the boldness to get out there. You're not going to be filled with the Spirit who can rise up and overcome anything that comes against you. All right? You need to pray before you go out. You need to pray while you're out. You need to pray when you come back. Full of thanksgiving, expectant. 
Blessing starts with prayer. It's all about prayer. Ask God to bless them. Ask God to help the person overcome their problems. Ask God to provide for their needs, etc., etc., etc. Pray on behalf of them, even though you're not, they don't know you're doing it. All right? Now, let's take a real example. You all live in homes somewhere, I presume, all right? and you've all got neighbours. Maybe you're in a street or a neighbourhood or, a, uh, I don't know, it could be a caravan park, it could be an apartment, wherever you are. All those people around you are potential candidates to receive Jesus Christ. So you start praying for them. You mightn't even know their names, but you know, I know somebody in number 34, 36, 38, 40, 41. And so you start praying for the people here. You walk the street and you say, God, bless them. God, you know exactly where they're at. You know what they need. Father, I just pray that you would bring blessing upon them. While you're blessing them, you need to watch your words because you can't bless and curse at the same time. So when you're blessing people, you're asking God to bless them, but you're also going to speak well of them. You're going to speak favorably of them. You're going to speak positively into their lives. Let me give you an example. I've been living in Paro Bay now for, this is our eighth year, just started. And a few years after we went there, we have a right-of-way immediately beside our house that goes down towards the beach. There's about a dozen houses down there. And about two years after we got there, um, one of the houses was rented out to a lot of young people, probably eight of them living in this large house by the beach. And they were noisy. They had souped-up cars. They would come zooming up from the beach, up the hill. It's quite a steep hill. Up the hill, get onto our road and then take off. Not look, not be bothered about anyone else. All right? If I was out in the garden when they were around there, then they would yell things at me. They would say things. They would laugh at me. They would throw this... They used to throw their cigarette butts into my garden, which is right there. Now, these people were abusive, offensive, potentially abusive, offensive, and, um, and they were threatening. Yeah? Now, I had two choices to make. My first choice is I could respond negatively. I could start to tell other people about them, cursing them. I could speak badly about them and what they're doing. I don't even know them. I'm making a judgment about them. But based on this experience, a lot of words could come out of my mouth, be in my heart and in my head, which are curses, not blessings. Um, I could feel intimidated. I could decide to stay inside. I could be out of sight. Alternatively, I could choose to respond positively, choose to enjoy rather than fear where I live, the people around me, my neighbours, um, not speak curses or accusations over them, start praying for them, ask God to show me what he sees in them. Because you know God loves every one of them. He loves every one of them. He, he sees right through them. He knows just like he knew you and I before we were saved. He loves them the same way. He sees them the way he sees us. All right? And we need to start seeing that. We need to start getting God's eye on the matter. And as you start to see what God shows you about them, pray that positive thing. You know, if God says, underneath all that, they have a kind heart, God, release that kind heart. Fill them with compassion. Show them what's going on. And so I made a decision 
And I was going to respond positively because I refused to live in this negative viewpoint. You know, a couple of them have moved on, but the same two cars come up the hill and the same young people are in it. But do you know that they don't yell out at me? They don't throw anything into my property. They actually lift up their hand occasionally, not often, to acknowledge that I'm there and to welcome me. Bless them. Bless them. Can you bless people? Step one. Step two, Luke chapter 10, verses 7 and 8, befriend them, become their friends. It says, stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you. Eat what is set before you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you. Eat what is set before you. God wants us to get into their life. The only way that you can expect people to uh, trust you and listen to you and to allow you to bring the presence of God, even in your being, into their lives is if you become their friends. Not ordinary friends, not passing friends, not friends who come and go, but genuine long-term. You've got to be in for the long-term. It starts with us seeing the world as they see it, to understand their worldview and to get into their world without compromising our Christian beliefs, values or lifestyle. Now, to do this, it takes integrity. You've got to be very clear about who you are in Christ, the authority you have in Christ. You must be very certain you're not going to be distracted and drawn into their world. But... We can do it. It takes integrity, it takes commitment, time and effort. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23, we hear Paul saying, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, although myself am not under that law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, although I'm not free from God's law, and I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. Those are the people who live in our neighbourhoods, who don't go to church and who deny God. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. I have become all things to all people um, using all means possible so that some can be saved. When we read this um, passage of scripture in context of the Heil Bible and Paul's writings, we see that Paul does not mean that we act one way with one group and another way with another. In other words, we become schizophrenic and we have split personality doing a bit here and a bit there. He also isn't saying that we adopt their way of thinking or behaving and do things contrary to the word of God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you need to get into their world. You need to understand their world. You need to be able to communicate with them and to relate to them at their level. Approach one person or family at a time because situations and circumstances are different. Um, they change from one person or family to another. So... Concentrate on one to start with. 
Now, over time, you might have three, four, five, or six people. But, you know, it's good for our church to go out and to tell the whole world, the whole community, in an event about Jesus Christ, like at Christmas or Easter. Those are good things to do. But we're never really going to connect with people at a personal level. We're not going to befriend them, all right, unless we start one-to-one, one-on-one one family or one person at a time. Stay with them. Make up your mind that you're going to be in it for the long haul. Spend quality time with them. Discover who they are. Discover how they live life. Um, Show them who you are, how you do life. In other words, share life with them. You're going to have to do things together. But, you know, it's a partnership. You've got a say in what you do as much as they have a say. And if there's things they want to do that you cannot abide because it's outside of your Christian values, the word of God, then you simply share that with them. They like honesty. They value truth in the sense that you're being truthful. So just share with them gently and kindly why that's not possible or why you don't lie, don't cover it up, don't keep putting it off. Just tell them the truth. Is that possible? Walk with the person on their journey of discovering and enjoying the love, power and promises of God. Be a genuine friend. Love them as Christ loves them. Do good works that reinforce and accompany our faith in the truth. Be consistent. Practical, hospitable, thoughtful, and personal in your relationship. That's what relationship's about. See, in this day and age, we don't invest a lot of time in relationship. I was just having a discussion with a lady I met today about visiting people and meeting with people and sharing with people. We're so busy. There's so much going on. If we're not busy, the other person's busy. And so what used to be a normal thing where people met and ate meals together and shared and went and did things, went on walks and went swimming together and did all those things. It's hard to get people together to do that these days, yes? Yeah? So we've got to make it happen. We've got to prioritise it, value it and prioritise it and say, this is worthwhile because this is something Christ has commanded me to do. He says, go and do these things that others might learn about me and believe in me. Um, my lawn mowing guy, Shane, who I really didn't need. When Tim was sick uh, four or five years ago, I needed him and his mother was caring for Tim part-time, helping me to care for him. I couldn't do everything around the house. I do all the maintenance outside. So she said, my son Shane will help you. And we came to an agreement and Shane started coming. Now, Shane is physically disabled because of the side effects of diabetes mellitus. He has difficulty mobilising, his fingers and legs don't work well, etc. All right? Now, I came to a point a few years ago where I no longer needed Shane, but I needed Shane. I needed Shane because it was no longer about us needing Shane to work for us. It was about me needing Shane that I could be part of bringing him to Christ Jesus. I needed Shane. So we've kept Shane on. Six weeks ago, Shane ended up in hospital after he'd had a fall on a slope while doing some gardening work, and he had a severe infection in his leg. It was so severe that they had to take him to theatre, open it up, take away a lot of the gunk and all the skin around it, and then they sent him home, but they were concerned. Because he's diabetic, there was a chance of gangrene sitting in. 
Four days later, his, his second toe on that leg starts to go black and they know they have to amputate his toe. So he's back in hospital again, had an amputation, had most of the flesh on the lower part of his foot removed. He's on continuous IV um, antibiotics now for six weeks and he's got a drainage tube bag that he carries around in the wound. This is serious, life-threatening for Shane. It's like all of a sudden I was confronted with what I'm preaching. What are you going to do about this? All right? If you're his friend, you've got to treat him like your friend. Um, so I decided that I needed to start seeing Shane, taking meals to Shane, doing what I could for Shane. And um, I was going to love, I, I decided a long time ago that I was going to love Shane into the kingdom, but now I've got to put my, what is it, where my words are? Took on? Actions, yeah, right. Yeah, I have to make it real. He's lonely, he's got no money, and he's unwell. And I treasure those times that we have as I go there and take him meals, two to three, four meals sometimes a week, because he's got no one else to care for him, nobody else to do that. Now, do you think that's going to be money in the bank credit for Jesus Christ? Amen, amen. Step three is benefit them. And Luke 10, verses 9a, verse 9a says, heal the sick who are there. You know, once you've established a trusting relationship, benefiting the person is the key from moving them from being an observer to being a participant in the kingdom. Today's modern generation needs to see the fruit and taste it for themselves before they'll consider its source and contemplate how they can get the fruit and grow it for themselves. They need to taste it. See it and taste it first. As your understanding of the person increases, you spend more time with them, you will see and, and um, be told of things that are problematic for the person. This is when the opportunity arises. Take the opportunity. In both Galatians 6 and Colossians 4, um, God says, make the most of every opportunity. Take the opportunity. Um, Get in while the door is open, all right? And with Shane, there was this opportunity, this window of opportunity to actually take it to the third level. Unfortunately, I, to date, have missed taking that opportunity. I'm praying to God I haven't uh, missed it totally and that God will grace me with another opportunity. But when he was in hospital, before he had the surgery, it was the time I should have gone in and prayed for him for a miraculous healing, Yeah? That's what I should have done. That's what I should have done. All of you have gifts. All of you have talents that God has given you. I like cooking. I'm good at cooking. Cooking's one of my talents, one of my gifts. All right? I'm also able to lay hands on people and pray, believing the Lord, for them to be healed. And people often get healed. But they only get healed because I believe it's possible. Not me doing it, but Christ working through me. All right? So benefit them. Benefit them. Don't be like me and leave it too late, as I might have done with Shane, my regret. But God is gracious. I believe he'll give me another opportunity. The fourth step is bring them the good news. Luke 10, verse 9b. Tell them the kingdom of heaven is near you. This is always the final step when you're using the Luke 10, four-step model of evangelism. But... You can only bring them the good news, even if it's at the end of a process, you can only bring them the good news if you know how to bring them. Do you know the process involved in, in leading somebody to Christ? 
Do you know how to, um, how to share your testimony with a person? What is your testimony? Can you give a two-minute, two five-minute, and 15-minute version of your salvation testimony, of your healing testimonies, of your deliverance testimonies? Can you do that? Have you ever thought about it? If you don't write it down, practice it, memorize it, and have it sitting right there to give to them, when the opportunity arises, you're going to miss the moment. Do you know the salvation prayer? What should be in it? Find out. Write it down. Memorize it. Write it on a card if you need it and carry it with you. But if you're not prepared, you won't be able to take that moment. Um, um, have a planned means of following up the person. You know, sometimes it happens in days, in hours, in minutes. I'm a chaplain. And when I'm with somebody who's dying, then in a moment I can ask the question, or, or God, the Holy Spirit can show me they're afraid of death. You're afraid of death. You don't need to be afraid of death. Um, I have a God who will help you over that. His name is Jesus Christ, and he'll take away that fear. Will you let me pray for you to take away that prayer? I pray the fear disappears. Then I say, you can do this anytime you like if you're willing to ask Jesus. And so I say to them, this is what you do. You come and you say, Jesus, I believe in you. And it just leads into the rest. Do you get what I'm getting at? Sometimes that happens in minutes. But generally it takes months, even years sometimes, for that to happen. But we have to be ready for the opportunity when it happens. All right? And all the examples that I've given you today, I'm with the worship team. Please come up. And all the examples that I've given you today... Um, the carer, Don, the guy who was dying, uh, Shane. I had blessed over a period of time because all of these people were in my sphere of influence. There were people around me who I knew and made contact with on a regular basis. And therefore, I could routinely, but in a committed fashion, pray over them. In my daily devotional and group, uh, home group, life group prayers, in the prayer time in our um, weekly prayer meetings, all right? I prayed over them and blessed them for a long time. I befriended them over a period of time. They knew that I was a Christian. They were able to watch me and watch my lifestyle. And I knew about them and got into their life. Um, I made the most of an opportune moment, took the opportunity when it arose to benefit them, uh, by praying with them and using the spiritual gifts that God had given me to lead them to Christ. And I subsequently was able to bring them the good news, lead them to Christ. I know at the core of every Christian's heart is a desire, your heart, centre of your heart, a desire, even a compulsion to be effective witnesses for Christ. Can people agree with me on that? I want to do it, but... I don't know how. I'm afraid to do it. I'm not sure. What if I mess it up, etc. You know, you have a God who lives in you who's greater than you. He can override you. He can put words in your mouth that you don't even know you knew. He can speak out through you. If you say, here I am, I'm available. I will go. That's all you need to do. You need to be available. Um, it's our desire to uh, be a witness for Christ because it's in the very essence of who we are. And so we're frustrated and dissatisfied and feel that we never do the job right and then we give up because after years and years of trying, we think this is never going to happen. 
You know, you can come up here today and you can stand at this altar and you can say, God, that's me. Something's got to change and I'm making a decision to trust you. I'm coming and I'm asking you to give me the boldness and the confidence that will enable me to step out. I'm asking you, Lord, to give me such a commitment to make this such a priority in my life that I will do the homework I need to do. Write out the testimonies. Memorize the salvation prayer. All right? I'll make a list of the people I am going to befriend. And I'll start one by one and start going and knocking on the door, visiting with them, becoming their friends, sharing my life with them and sharing their life with them, with me. Um, Maybe you need to overcome fear and doubt. You know, it's right here today. Jesus Christ can deliver you right here at this altar. You just come and you ask him. We're believing on your behalf. We're going to lay hands on you. And that fear and doubt will disappear. I had severe fear and doubt. Naturally, I'm not an evangelist. But God has changed me. God has changed me because I have to know how to do everything properly. And God said, well, if you need to do it properly, do your homework. Do the preparation. Practice it, and then you can do it. And that's what I do. I just follow what God told me to do. Okay? Maybe you think, I don't hear God. Well, come and ask him. You don't have to do it on your own. The point is, Christ is with you. Holy Spirit wants to help you. Maybe you feel you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Then come. As the musicians start singing, I'm inviting you to come up. This is your moment. This is the day. Come and receive what you need from the Lord. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.